Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer in the Golf News Network. I'm JT along with the other crew here, and this is where we talk to all the fun and interesting people that make up the world of golf. We'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended. Also, Gunter Wilhelm Knives, unmatched quality and comfort and efficiency. Check them out online at GunterWilhelmKnives.com. And the folks down at Ben Hogan Golf. They do a great job. I'm playing with some Hogan clubs now, and I really like them. So check out that uh, at benhogan.com. He's back. That's the only thing I can say, and that's the biggest introduction I can give him. Our good friend of the show, Gary Van Sickle, is back with us today. We're going to be talking about what he's seen so far on the tour this year and a few economic issues that face golf, which they're doing pretty good now. Gary, welcome back, buddy. I was waiting for you to say he's back. Despite popular demand. Well, you are by popular demand. No, despite. Oh, despite, despite popular, popular demand. demand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's slightly different. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So we've made it through the uh, we made it through the Hawaiian stuff. We made it through the California swing. We got our first major under our belt now. Give me your overall view of what you're seeing out there on tour um, this year. Well, you know, technically, we're already well past the halfway point of this season, even though we've only had the Masters. Right. So that's kind of the split season thing is always throws you for a loop. Well, we saw does the U.S. Open in the in September count as last season or this season? I guess it counts as this season. But we've seen look, Bryson DeChambeau has become the What's the word? The focus of attention. Attention. Yeah. He's the elephant in the under the big top that everybody wants to see now. I mean, with the, if Tiger was out here, he'd still be him, and if Phil could still play, it would still be him. But Bryson DeChambeau, without Tiger, he is. We've seen him now become the number one attraction in golf, and there's stories about him every day. When he's in a tournament, somebody was writing about him every day. TV's talking about him because of all the unusual things he's done, how far he hits it. You know, I, I think I said this on your show before, but to me, the big moment of last season, which is last year, which is part of this season, was at that U.S. Open at Wingfoot, the ninth hole on Sunday. It's a par five. DeChambeau hits a drive 375 yards in the fairway, and he's playing with Matthew Wolf, the guy with a weird swing, and he hit it 388 in the fairway. So the irony is that DeChambeau put on 40 pounds over the offseason and did all this weightlifting and that's all this crazy stuff just to hit, to hit it 375 and Matthew Wolf hasn't done a thing. He's just a natural. I mean, 
he's a wiry guy with a lot of club head speed. Right. But my point is that was that is the kind of the defining moment of the of this season for me is like anybody who doesn't think the ball is an issue and how far everybody's hitting it is an issue. That one that in a US Open where you know you've got to hit the fairway supposedly to play the game. They hit a 388 and 375, and those guys all week out of the rough made it look like it wasn't big. So the game has changed. It's gotten away from the USGA, in my opinion. The Shambo's leading the charge, although nobody's trying to do what he's doing because it's too far out. But it works for him. He's, he's outsmarting everybody, and it works for him. Well, he's a he's smart Justin cookie. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I, 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 I tip my head. I think he's, he's done more innovation personally than. I don't know who to compare him to other than, you know, Gene Saracen invented a sandwich at some point to get out sure. of bunkers because there wasn't any club, but his, his whole line of irons where they're all the same length. That's, that's genius. This changing the swing plane. So it's all, it's on the same plane. Uh, he's hitting a driver. That's actually five and a half degrees. He had turned down to four and a half degrees at the masters, which didn't work out that well, but right. the point, nobody else, nobody, he's doing things nobody else can do or wants to do. And he's, if he has a good week with the driver, I mean, he's going to be, he's hard to beat because he's hitting sandwich in everyone. And these guys are great with sandwich. He's got a great short game. His putting's not, it's not fluid. It's very robotic, but he's pretty effective. So he, he has become kind of the big star in the game. And that's, that's been a big deal. Justin Thomas reestablished himself. I, I still think he, Justin Thomas has more game than it than anybody else when he's on. Yeah, I agree. Uh, R- Rory stated uh, Spieth's on his way back, but he's never going to be technically as good as Justin Thomas. His short game's so good. John Rahm's a guy to watch. He's got a lot of talent. But we've seen kind of a, like yet another new wave of guys coming out to kind of challenge the class of 2011. So that, you know, which is Spieth and Justin Thomas right. and uh, – I'm drawing a blank all those names, but we, you know that's a story that's been done to death. You know, we're seeing Corey Connors, we're seeing Will Zell, Torres, Xander Shoffley, Cantlay's kind of taking a step back temporarily. But it's a year that distance has been the focus, led by DeChambeau when he's new star of golf, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's time for some new faces, and uh, Tiger and Phil are, are basically out, and here here's the next wave right here. And Kepka is the guy, you know, uh, we hope. Geez, I hope that knee injury isn't going to end him as a uh, a major championship contender because he racked up four majors in three years like it was nothing. Right. And his thing about well, he wanting to get the double figures in majors, like I didn't question it at all. Uh, now, now you don't know. I mean, that could have been his last major. We don't know. You saw it with Rory. You don't know when your last major coming when you're one of those guys who wins a lot. And uh, hopefully Kepka's not going to be you know hampered by injuries. But you know. Golf's a game where you get hurt. You have some your knee, your wrist, your shoulder, your back. They're all susceptible to injury, and he got one. So it it kind of disproves the myth that if you work out hard enough, it prevents injuries. I think Tiger Woods proved that to be false, and Kepka and Dustin Johnson and B.J. Singh have all proved that to be a false narrative. No matter how good a shape you're in, that doesn't mean it doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt. You still get hurt. We're old and we get hurt all the time. <laughs> so, or we're limping. Yeah, you just wake up and you're like, what happened last night? Yeah. Yeah. Did an elf, did an elf hit me in the side with a hammer? What yeah. happened? <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to ask you, we got a couple minutes before we got to go to 
uh, to break here, Gary. I get the feeling sometimes, and and I'll say this, and the audience might take this the wrong way, but I think Rory just doesn't give as big of a crap anymore about that his game. I mean, he's he's good. He's you know one of the top tier players and all that. But he's he's married. Uh, I don't know. They have a kid. Yep. They have a kid yet. If not, there's probably one coming. And he's got a great life. He's won a ton of money already. Um, and he can play anywhere, anytime he wants. I just don't think that I think that fire kind of switched from one side of his desires to the other. I just wanted to get your thoughts on well, that. Well, it's it's he, he, look, he's it happens to almost every tour player. You get to your thirties, you get married, you have a kid, Rory's a new father, more you know, fairly new, and your priorities change. Sure. And it's those guys have the kind of slump because instead of that, you know, take an hour out of your day of practice that you now do for something else. And that's all it takes. These guys to win are, are the best at what they do. And it, it doesn't take much, you know, it's just, um, it's a, it's a demanding sport and the top players. If you look at, go back and look through history, there's a few exceptions like Jack or Sam Snead, the guys who won majors, who won more than one, Arnold Palmer, Billy Casper, those guys, Torino, their, their, their career of winning majors last, they get a window of eight to 10 years, maybe 12, if you're really lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, Tiger was long. Tiger was the exception. Tiger and Jack are the exception to every rule, and so was Sam Snead. Rory came out when he was, what, 17? Right. He's already passed his expiration date on majors. I mean, he's already been out here 13, 14 years. And now he's got a little less motivation. And honestly, he's such a nice guy. He's so normal that the fame didn't affect him. And the money didn't affect him like it could have. I mean, everyone's affected by it, but it doesn't take that much. He, he's, he's maybe too smart for his own good. He's got other interests in life. Sure. So I think you're right. I, I think it's just a little less motivation is all it took for his game to get a little off the rails and, you know, and these he, look, he's got a lot of guys to beat now who are just as long as him. He he doesn't have that distance at you. DeChambeau's longer than him. Rory was chasing DeChambeau's length and it messed the swing up. So in a weird way, DeChambeau is playing defense with what he's doing. He's he's sabotaging other guys' games because he's intimidating them with his length and they're trying to chase him. Yeah. Much like everybody did with Tiger Woods in the nineties. Sure. We're gonna take a break here on Grilling at Green. Gary and I will be back in just a few minutes. Please stay with us. You're listening to Grilling at the Green here on AM860 and the Golf News Network. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. Uh, don't forget our friends down at Langdon Farms. Great specials on now. And, of course, the golf courses are open and restaurants, depending on what week or the mood of our governor here in Oregon, uh, can be at 25 to 50 to 75 percent capacity in the restaurants and on the courses. So uh, but they're open and they're they're busy and the course looks great. If you want to give us an email or ask a question, just go to info at grilling at the um, talking with Gary Van Sickle, a friend of the show, as he said, despite popular opinion, and he's he's back this week with us. I always enjoy talking to Gary very much. 
you know, we were talking about tour players and, and DeChambeau's, you know, being the star, the icon and all that. Um, what I didn't understand, and this is just me, uh, so I'm part of the peanut gallery, Gary. But, you know, he said uh, he cranked that the uh, the loft on that wedge down to four and a half degrees. But it seemed to me he hadn't really practiced with it. He just was kind of looked like he was just warming up with it there at Augusta from what I saw. And that could have been, been a, a little factor. I mean, these guys are so good. They can hit a broom, you know, and make it look good off the tee. But um, I wouldn't think you would go into a major without having, you know, a dozen rounds with a a change in loft or a change in the shaft or something on one of your major clubs. Well, wouldn't you think if you go out there and spray it all over the trees, wouldn't you go, maybe I'll crank it back to five and a half. Yeah. Cause that didn't work. Yeah. He hasn't figured out, look, he can hit his, he can probably hit his three wood three twenty, pretty straight. Sure. Why don't you just do that? <laughs> There's trees at Augusta. You know, 310, 310 and straight works on pretty much every hole. Maybe not some of the par threes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, over the green again. I shouldn't hit three wood on number four. But, yeah, hit three wood 310, 320. I mean, he, he's he's not satisfied with um, shooting the best score. He wants to just flatten the golf course. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. He, uh, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll steal some stuff. I mean, Brandel Chamblee in the Golf Channel basically said he's like a guy who's who's trying to paint the Mona Lisa, but he's using a paint by number kit. Here's what you do here. Here's what you do here. No, you got to be an artist. You got to be an artist, Augusta. And he's trying to be a scientist. And at the, of of all the courses, that's that's probably the toughest one to do it at. Sure. Uh, go to the go to the Open Championship, and it gets windy. I mean, what's he going to do there? Is he still going to you have a ball 320 yards in the air on a wind. It's blowing 30 miles an hour. You don't have control. No. So what's, what's he going to do there? There's a lot of flaws in this plan where I'm going to, I'm going to drive it and, and dominate this course with distance. Well, you're you get the right weather. You know, you know, Rory went to both of uh, Rory's couple of Rory's majors when he won at uh, congressional, the U S open, when he won the PGA at Kiowa, it rained that week. The greens were soft. It wasn't windy. It was like throwing darts. And you know he's great at that. Sure. All right. What's he done in some? What's he done in bad weather? Not very much. So, yeah. So <laughs> Deschambault's got. He's he's fun to watch. He's got a lot of game, and he's going to win more majors, no question. But he's, you know, his game's got his game's got some holes in it. I mean, as far as conditions go, and Augusta, he seems bamboozled there. And we'll see what happens. Uh, Kiowa might be a good course for him because it is a bigger hitter's course. But, you know, it's right there by the ocean. I don't know how the weather normally is there in May, but along the ocean in South Carolina, it's usually windy all the time. So Mostly. That would yeah. be a challenge for him. It would be fun to see. Yeah, what I was going to say is I remember back in the day when Tiger would have an off off uh, tournament with his driver or something, he'd pick up his three-wood and you were and you said, like, Shambo can hit it 320 or whatever. But I remember Tiger would like finally in his brain go, this isn't working. He'd grab his three wood um, and send it down the middle of the fairway most of the time. And that was smart play, I thought, on on his behalf. Sometimes it took him a while to, uh, whether it was Steve Williams or Joey, to tell him, 
pull the three wood out, but he would do it. And then he would kind of, you know, get his mind back in it and get his swing back. Yeah, he won that, that Open Championship at Royal Liverpool, and he only hit a couple drivers all week. He hit irons off all the tees. But, look, Tiger had a backup plan. His backup plan was he was the modern-day equivalent of Ben Hogan. He was a shot maker in an era where it really it's hard to do shots because the ball doesn't curve that much and the equipment doesn't curve as much. But he was a guy, you know, Tiger, like Hogan, always played the shot that was called for. You needed to hit a high fade or a low draw or whatever it was. He did it because he was he had complete control most days uh, over all those shots. Not every day, but yeah, most guys, you know, very few guys on tour do that. And, and really in Tiger's era, shot making was really more about trajectory control than curving the ball as much. But Tiger was a shot maker, you know, Bryson DeChambeau isn't working the ball both ways like Tiger did on a regular basis. Justin Thomas tries to. That's what I'm impressed about him. He's got all the shots. So I, that's why I think he's got a chance to, you know, rack up some, some major Ws. But, yeah, Tiger, Tiger, whatever the shot was, he'd hit it. And, you know, if you if, he, if he, my driver's lousy, well, I'll just go to – I'll just win the British Open by hitting iron off <laughs> And he did. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. Oh yeah, well, that might be one of his coolest wins just because of that. Now that course that week was fried; it was they had a drought and the ball was rolling, so you know he could hit a three iron and would roll out two ninety. Of course, now they're hitting three irons two ninety in the air. So, but back then, uh, it, that was he golfed his ball that week, and I don't think Bryson DeChambeau would have would have done that or been able to do that. No, and I think you you brought up Justin Thomas. I watched Justin Thomas. I'd never uh, really seen him before, but he came out here on whatever it is now, the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, but back when he was here at Pumpkin Ridge, I watched him. And for a little guy, I thought, this kid can play. He's not a big person. He's he's little um, in comparison to, well, a lot of people are little in comparison to Bryson. But, uh, you know, he was, he could just put it out there. You know, and I was very impressed with his play. You know, that, that's a good point. I'm going to start standing near Bryson so I look sooner. <laughs> Thanks for that tip. No problem. It's a free one. You can use it anytime you want. Does, does this pro next to me make my butt look smaller? Yeah. I'm yeah. Going to stand next to him. There you go. Um, we're going to take another break here on Girling at the Green. Don't forget, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And so is Gary. He gets out there and tweets once in a while, and they're usually pretty good. So we're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Hey, it's JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at BenHoganGolf.com. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. Again, our thanks goes out to Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef the way your grandpa used to, to raise it. If you can't find Painted Hills in your area... Or you want to know about more about them, just go to PaintedHills.com, PaintedHillsBeef.com, I should say. Uh, they have a store locator and all that stuff there for you. Uh, really great company, really great product there. And also Ben Hogan Golf, tour quality clubs at factory direct prices. Go to BenHoganGolf.com. 
And of course, you can do the emails to us at info at grillingatthegreen.net um, and all that stuff. So, and we're on a whole litany of different platforms when this show goes into the podcast version. We're talking with Gary Van Sickle today. I thought it was, uh, we can't swear in this segment. And I'm just reminding you because we both will do that on occasion. I thought they dead, I, dead gummit. <laughs> but oh, the, oh, darn! I just, I just did. I'm sorry. There you go. Um, there's a, there's a. Um, I almost called you on this when I saw one of our fellow golf journalists, uh, Mr. Lynch, was going to go after Fred Ridley uh, on Georgia voting laws and stuff, and I thought, oh, Gary's going to have a heart attack over that. Um, I just, I just, man, I just, that stuff's got to stay out of golf. I, Ridley does a great job on everything, by the way, I thought, but I don't get where we're trying to meld in all this political correctness into the, the world of golf. Well, the, the assumption of political correctness, which always comes from the left, is the assumption that, of course, because we're, we think we're right, that makes it a fact. Yeah. And how many people have said since that whole thing happened? Well, New York has more restrictive voting rights. Colorado has more. Re- you take the NBA, the All Star Game to Denver; they got more restrictive voting laws in Colorado. Right. And oh yeah, you're moving the All Star Game from Atlanta, where the population was, I think, seventy percent minority, to Colorado, where it's seventy percent white. So what what are you accomplishing? But yeah, his column was based on, well, of course, this is atrocious. This is unfair. Well, no, that's an opinion. So yeah, I you know. I get it. He, he used to work at Golf Magazine, which was part of our Sports Illustrated Golf Magazine. We were all together. And uh, so I know him pretty well. And let's just say that uh, nobody really has anything good to say about him who worked with him. But you know, occasionally, uh, you know, he can write a good story. But, yeah, why, what makes you think that's right? What, why, why is it, uh, you know, you need an ID to – to get to do anything you need a voter id to pick up your welfare check sure you need a voter id to pick up your prescription you don't need a voter id to vote i mean id to vote i mean what how does that how does that make sense yeah so, so why and but why do they assume that's a bad law you're required to show id to vote how is that bad who's against that who doesn't have id no people don't have id if people who aren't citizens okay well if you're not citizen you probably shouldn't be voting Probably not. It kind of goes against. It's kind what, of a short what, argument there. I, I don't know what the argument is in favor of demanding to know people who are, who's voting. But again, <laughs> I, I, but I don't think that's that. That's my opinion. I'm not. I don't declare that a fact as as Eamon Lynch would do on yeah. his side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I it just bothers me when we get into mob rule, political correctness, wokeness, all that stuff. You know, if you're a nice person out there, you'll probably do okay in life. And um, we we are... Uh, you know, there, Jeff, there's a fine line between political correctness and turning into China, where, right. where no dissent is allowed. Right. I mean, there's not much difference. Right. There's not, you know, look at, look at Twitter right now. Oh, yeah. You know, you can say anything... Anything Trump or anybody said that was they didn't like got deleted. But LeBron James can tweet a picture of the police officer who killed a, a girl in Columbus, Ohio, 
who was attacking another girl that was about to pounce on another girl with a knife and stab her, he can post a picture of that police officer and say, you're next. He doesn't get bounced for threatening. Basically, clearly, he saying that officer should be killed. Right. So we're, we're closer to China than you think. You know, the, the Uyghurs are over there are not only they're being massacred, they're being enslaved. But the NBA wants their TV money in China, so you don't say a dare, you don't dare say a word against China if you're in the NBA. So I'd like to see Mr. Le- James have some accountability about that situation, but of course he's not going to. No, because he retracted it and then kind of walked it back and then said this. Well, he walked it back, but he said, we need accountability. Yeah, here's some accountability. You were attacking someone with a knife about to stab them. You should be accountable for that. Okay, you got shot while you were doing that. That's tragic. It's tragic, but you were attempting to murder someone. Nothing good's going to happen. You know, I mean, that that's accountable. That's where the accountability should be. But that has nothing to do with golf. How do we get there? I don't know, but I just I just see uh, I've just seen it kind of permeate more into to, to golf and to especially some of the reporters that are, you know, trying to ask questions and stuff. And it's like, this isn't the time or place. That's just my view. Okay. That's my opinion. But, you know, the day before a major, the day before a big tournament, um, the politics should stay out of it as far as I'm concerned. So that's, I I don't, yeah, I, I agree. I don't, if you're a celebrity, whether you're an actor, if you're a pro athlete, I don't really care or I'm not interested in your view, political views about anything. Sure. And just because you have a forum, because you're a star, you can say stuff. It doesn't mean I care about what you say. What do you know? I mean, clearly LeBron realizes he made a mistake on that tweet because he tweeted it without getting the facts. Um, okay. He, he made a mistake. He attracted, but he, he walked it back, but he didn't apologize. And he said, where's the accountability? Well, yeah, where's the accountability for for making a tweet like that? You know, he he still missed the point. He it wasn't a proper apology. But yeah, what what why are we uh, why why do we care about some guy, some professional athlete who didn't go to college thinks about anything? I don't mean LeBron. I mean anybody. Just because you're an athlete or a celebrity of any kind doesn't make you smarter than anybody else. In fact, there's a good chance you're not as smart. But <laughs> I guess that's debatable on the individual cases, but let me tell yeah, you why do why do we care what uh, a celebrity endorsement? When was the last time that swayed an election? Let me tell you, I've been around a lot of actors and a lot of musicians over my career, and some of them are as dumb as a post. And they're they're good at their craft, whether it's singing or acting or something like that, but. Uh, you can't really have a conversation with them. Um, they're either way too self-absorbed or they act like they don't even know what day it is. So, and there's a difference. You can still be smart, but a lot of cases you bypass school for your craft. You may be, have a high IQ and be very smart, but you're not well educated or well read. So there's a, there's a fine line there too. Absolutely. So, yeah. I know, I know people who are smart, but they aren't well-read and I, and vice versa, people who are well-read, but you know, they aren't very smart. So <laughs> well, speaking of that, what kind of, what kind of barbecue sauce do you like to put on your ribs? 
Um, I've got several that I use. And, uh, I just thought I'd throw in a complete non sequitur to get this back totally get off us, the rails. Get us back on the rails there. Yeah, I use dry yeah, rubs, and then I and then I glaze them with a sauce about the last five to ten minutes when they're on the grill and pull them off. Uh, I'll tell you this: here's a here's a well known barbecue fact. Sweet Baby Ray's is the number one selling sauce uh, in the in the country, and has been for. Are you a number kidding of, me? No, I'm not. No, Sweet Baby Ray's is the wow, number one. Wow, I would not have get, What's number two? Uh, I really don't know because they really don't. They, they're some kind of like craft, whatever, Kansas City or KC, yeah. KC yeah, barbecue no, sauce. I, 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 yeah, I like Sweet Baby Ray's. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I still want to go back to Kansas City and get some of the spicy barbecue stuff they've got there. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert, but Gates, I was in Kansas City. Gates was my favorite, but people say Arthur Bryant's was a great dude. So it's barbecue. It is it's barbecue. All it's all good. I think we should do. I think you should do your. We should do your next show live in Kansas City over barbecue while we're eating it. We could do that. We could do that, man. I, I would do. I would do that. I've got a standing invite to come there from the Kansas City Barbecue Society, of which I'm a member, to come do a show there. So um, it's all good. We could. I could meet you there. It's not that far from you. Yeah. In, in, Let's, we, we should pencil that in. There's barbecue in it for me and golf. So, yeah, I'm, count me in. There's well, barbecue and golf. I'm in. <laughs> Why do you think I do these two shows, Gary? <laughs> well, exactly. You're a genius. You're a marketing genius. <laughs> We're going to take another break, and I promise we'll get back on the golf rails when we come back. Uh, you're listening to Grilling at the Green here on AM860 and also the Golf News Network and a bazillion podcast versions. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM860 and the Golf News Network. Our good friend and friend of the show and... Somebody that's uh, always got a very unique view on the world of golf from his catbird seat because he's covered it for years and years and years. Gary Van Sickle and I always get a charge out of talking with Gary. We think along the same lines and we have a lot of fun when we're talking there. It's still a little weird. We saw some, some uh, patrons, as they call them, at uh, Augusta, but it still wasn't, you know, full house, so to speak. Um, what, what's kind of my question is, will the PGA, as we go along, do you think the, uh, the tour, you think they're going to like let more, more people in because, um, you know, some of the Southern states and stuff, Texas, Florida, Georgia, some of those people, uh, are, they're kind of opening things up and I think it would really be good to get back to a full gallery. That's my thought. Well, I don't, I don't think there's any question the PGA tour wants to do that. And I, Supposedly they were, I forget the number now, I think they said they were letting in 10,000 fans at the Players' Championship back in March. And that was really the first time any tournament had any kind of fans whatsoever. I swear it sounded like a lot more than 10,000. Sure. I think they might have, you know, fudged the numbers a little bit. But I also think you had people there who'd been waiting a year to go outside and yell at a sporting event. <laughs> so maybe it was 10,000 and they were just extremely vocal because they were so happy to be outside at, at something. But I, I think there was more than that. Yeah. I, I, you're you're going to see that. 
Now, again, it's going to be determined by what state you're playing golf in. Uh, I, I guess California did open up, and you are going to have some fans, limited fans, at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. And I think now the Women's Open, which is uh, is it in San Francisco or I'm drawing a blank, but it's in California also. So there are going to be some fans there. But, I, I, you know, on one hand, I didn't miss the fans because without them in the way, my views of the golf course were a lot better. I could see the holes better. But when the fans did come back at the player championship and you heard those yells, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that is better with background yelling noise and cheering. Oh, sure. And the Masters was, you know, <laughs> that was that was enough people to make a to make a roar and a echo in the pine. So I I did enjoy that, having it back. Look at some of these pictures of the Masters where who knows how many people are in the ground, 70,000, 80,000. And it's, they're 10 deeper on the greens. And I'm thinking – I don't know if I really miss that. I don't really miss it being that crowded. But the fans do create an atmosphere, and any number of players have said part of that adrenaline rush they get from playing is having the fans there. And some some guys have suffered because of it, they think. That probably says more about your concentration factor than anything else. But, you know, I I get that. So, yeah, I think you're going to see fans at regular two two events. BGA Tour wants to show those people in there. They got sponsors paying all kinds of money to run these events, they want the sponsors to be happy and selling tickets makes them happy and having a bigger footprint makes them happy. So, yes, you're going to see fans, I think, back pretty much in full this summer pending, uh, you know, depends the tall up. You know, you mentioned your your governor. There's some other governors who are also reticent. You know, look at Canada. They just had a big lockdown. Like one of the Canadian hockey leagues, uh, junior hockey leagues, Cancel its season. They've done all this lockdown stuff. They've done the mass, and it's worse than ever. Yeah. So, I think it's uh, there's a Stanford study that said masks were ineffective at stopping the virus. How come we don't follow science? I don't know. But we, yeah, I, you're going to see fans there, and it's going to be more fun to some. I predict. Well, I think you're right, and I hope you're right. The one thing that was interesting, and we've only got about a minute and a half left here, but one thing I found was really interesting when they did the aerial views with the drone or from the blimp or whatever they were using. Yeah, those are those are great. The drone shots at Augusta, yeah. Yeah. And that that really gave people, viewers at home, a perspective of the course because normally when they do that, like we were saying, you got you got thousands of people kind of blocking, you know, you just see this kind of yeah. line line in the fairways or whatever. When the, it wasn't like that this year, you really saw the uh, the undulations of the fairways and and the beauty of the place and not just in these little quick clips that CBS puts out you know i thought that yeah, was and you saw you saw that you saw that last november where they they started using the drones a little more conservatively and you got views of the golf course you'd never seen before and it was stunning yes and there were really no no fans to speak of in november now there were some fans but They've also figured out what they can do with the drones, and the drones are next to the uh, the shot tracker, the ribbon of showing sure, the ball sure. flight, yeah. which is the best thing ever. This drone camera thing at a, at a place like Augusta that's got some beauty, that that thing is awesome. I, I love the drone cameras. Oh, it's great. Um, Gary, going to stick around for after hours, I hope. And, folks, that's going to uh, wrap up the uh the radio portion of this show. We'd like to thank Gary Van Sickle for being back with us. You're always welcome on this show anytime, my friend. Anytime. 
It's all good. Despite despite popular demand, correct. <laughs> despite popular demand. We'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. Until then, uh, go out, play some golf, and uh, be nice, everybody. Take care. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.